Well, last week, we lit the Advent candle, um, ushering in the Christmas season. And I read from Isaiah 9, verse 2. Let me read it again. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Imagine that. People walking in darkness. Deep darkness. I had a conversation with a colleague, even though the campus is pretty much empty. I and a few others have permission to be on campus. It's pretty much a ghost town, but uh, I ran into my colleague and she looked really, um, I've known her for many years and she seemed really down, tired. I said, hey, what's going on? And she said, you know, I haven't been sleeping. You know, like every industry, a lot of people in our fields are suffering You know, just the whole area, all these mom and pop shops are closed, people losing their jobs, people on furlough. She's experienced loss in her family. And she said, you know, I'm just having a hard time sleeping. I have anxiety. And she said, I had a dream the other night that I was in total black darkness, in total darkness. And I couldn't even see in front of my face. And I was trying to run. I was trying to run like the length of a marathon. And I was just running. And I couldn't see where I was going. And after some time, once a marathon takes you know a number of hours, three, four hours or whatever, I realized, she said, that I was at the starting line. She's in pitch blackness, feeling completely disillusioned, discouraged. And in many ways, what she was expressing in her dream And where she was in life is where I think a lot of us are. A lot of us in this life, especially if we don't know who God is, if we don't know where the light comes from, we feel like we're groping in the dark. We don't know where we are. And some of us, even if we do know God, sometimes it feels like this world is so dark because the world is dark. It's really difficult times. 2020, when you ask people, you know, how's the year? I mean, you're going to get a negative response. It feels like There's so much heaviness, so much despair, so much sickness and disease. It's not like a Christmas that we as a nation or internationally have experienced uh, in quite some time. And so I'm hoping today, in today's message, I think the Lord has a word of encouragement for you, a a word of hope. It says in verse 6 of Isaiah 9, which I just read, For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. There is some hope, there is some light. Now, I've been working a lot of late nights, and sometimes my car is the only one in the whole parking lot. I'm one of the only people on campus. It was once a bustling college town. Now it's like a ghost town. And at night, sometimes the streetlights are out, and it's really dark. And I read the campus safety reports, and there are crimes like a lot of Southern California cities. Uh, I've been threatened before by people in the streets that are not in their right mind just yelling stuff to me. So uh, I keep my eyes open. Uh, I had a former student who, um, she was almost kidnapped right off of the campus. So when I'm walking through campus at night and I'm the only one there, I keep my eyes open. And I I feel not afraid, but very much alert because there's bad things in the darkness. That's true in the physical realm. It's also true in the spiritual realm. And in the Bible, light represents righteousness, wisdom, love of God. But darkness represents being outside 
of God's authority. It represents sin. It represents ignorance. Hell is described as a place of outer darkness, light and dark. But some time ago, I left my office, and I was expecting a really dark, despairing campus. And going from A to B, I saw some skunk the other day. I was going around the corner. Okay, if the muggers don't get you, the skunks will. And this skunk was there, and he's going, and that means he's getting ready to shoot me. And he didn't, thank God, or else you'd smell me right through the video. But, uh, you know, skunks, frightened, darkness, you know. But I went out and I saw that out of all the businesses in the area, it was all dark except for one that had Christmas lights everywhere. And it really lifted my spirits. And it got me thinking about, like, you know, the Christmas lights. Even though it's all dark and despair and a tough time, something about those Christmas lights uh, encouraged me. And, uh, you know, we got that going on over here with the, the Christmas lights. And I think you probably know that um, the, the origin of Christmas lights comes from the passage we're going to look at today, which is John 1. So you can turn in your Bibles to John 1. But the Nordic and the Germanic people, they used to take an evergreen like this and just put it in their houses. And when Christianity came on the scene, they would Christianize their religion, which was celebrating the winter solstice. And this is a living thing amidst all this death of winter. And then they would start, now this is kind of the crazy part. They would take candles, wax candles, okay? They did this in the New World as well. And they'd be setting up these wax candles in a dead evergreen tree or pine tree or fir or whatever in your house. Now, I don't know if you know anything about trees, but you have one of these dead trees in your house. It's like a, it's just a fire hazard waiting to happen. Now, I have a twin brother, I don't know if you know this, and back in New Hampshire, we used to celebrate the wonderful Christmas. You know, it's like a holiday card, New England. It's snow everywhere, and in the window, people would put little candles. Again, those little candles, and it's just black because the night is so dark because there's no light pollution. And in the windows, you see these, these candles, and it's just, it's just a warm feeling. And again, it's symbolic of Christ in a dark world. And we'll get into that. But anyway, my brother, who I have an evil twin brother. Everyone should have one. You know, he'd break a piece off the tree and throw it in the fire. And it was like a Chinese firework. So, I mean, it brings a lot of light, a lot of heat. Um, but the whole point is that these lights represent the light of Christ in the dark. Okay, let's just get going. Let me read uh, the word of God. John 1. John, John 1, verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, 
who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the light in this dark world. You are the true light in a dark world. God, some of us are in a dark place right now. Some of us don't even know who you are. And this is the first time we're hearing who you are. You're identifying yourself as the creator, Jesus. Some of us, we know who you are, but we feel like you're so far away. We've been overcome with the darkness. Lord, help us today to look at our lives. Just examine us. Help us, Lord, to have the courage to step into your holy light and to celebrate the hope you've given us because you came in the flesh to this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's um, a lot of what our theme is going to be today. And uh, before I get into it, um, let me just say that this is written by John the Apostle. There's many Johns in the Bible. There's like five of them. Even though it talks about John the Baptist, he is not the author. It's the Apostle John. And John was with Jesus for three years, and he heard Jesus say in John 8, I am the light of the world. So this is really Jesus' metaphor. He refers to himself as the light of the world. In fact, Jesus said in John 8, 12, you don't have to turn there. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have light of life. And if you were to boil out the Christmas story, like how would you explain it? You know, we had a baptism recently, and we had, it's just a great celebration of new life. And we had a lot of guests who had no background in Christianity, and they've never read the Bible. And as I was praying, it's like, how do you explain this? And if you remember what I said, is I said, you know, there's a creator God. We look at ourselves and we realize that this world has a designer, and we apprehend that there's morality. Where does this come from? There's obviously a God, there's a creator, there's a designer. But if there's a designer, what if this God, looking at this world, which is dark and lost, decided to take on the form of a baby and come into this world? Why? Why would God, eternal God, who created the entire universe, all the galaxies, why would he take on the form of a baby and go into this dark world? Because he loves us. He loves us so much that he took on a helpless form to become light in the world. He is the source of life. He is the source of light. He did it out of love. And that's who Jesus is. So it, it's explained here in John one, let's just look at the four, there's four sections here. If, you want, if you're taking notes, and these are really the, the four main points of the message. Verses one through five is talking about the identity of the true light. Who is the true light? What is the true light? It's Jesus Christ and no other name. Jesus Christ is God. He's the only God. Verses six through ten talk about the witness to the light, which is John the Baptist, but he's kind of a prototype or an archetype of who we can be also. 
Of course, there's only one John the Baptist, but we can emulate him. Like John said, he must increase, I must decrease. And so we'll learn about John the Baptist. The third section is verses 9 through 11. And now the, the light has come into the world. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. And John is ushered in this light. The people of Jesus' time, when he was walking the earth, and us, we have a decision to make. There's, there's two choices, really. One choice is to stay in the darkness, because our hearts are prone to love darkness. And the other is to surrender and then come into the light and let God heal us, cleanse us, change us. Of course, that's what we're encouraging you to do today. So that's where we're going. And I love John as a Christmas story. I love the Matthew passage. I love the Luke passage. We'll probably look at that one next week. But when you look at John, it really strips it down to the very bare basics. There's no Mary. There's no Joseph. There's no shepherds. There's no manger. There's no Herod. It's, it's just this. It's in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That is really staggering. This first verse took the disciples. After being with Jesus 24-7 for three years, it took them three years being with Jesus face-to-face before they really started to understand how profound the statement is. Is Really, the step one is to understand who the Word is. Now, this term Word can be very confusing. It's not talking about the Word of God. The Greek term for Word is logos. And in Greek philosophy, they were trying to find out what is the cause of all things. Where does existence come from? Where do all living things come from? What holds the universe together? So it has an element of what is the cause of everything. And it also has the question of what sustains the universe. That was the Greek question of the logos. And so John, who's the author, his purpose here, it says in John 20, his purpose of this book is he writes out who Jesus is so we might believe. And by believing, we might have eternal life and be saved. And so by reading, we believe. And by believing, we have eternal life. And so John is trying to reach a Greek audience. He's also trying to reach Jewish people as well because the, the term word for the Hebrew people, some commentators say it refers to Yahweh. Yahweh was such a holy word. That's the God of the Old Testament, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of Moses and Abraham, the big guys of the Old Testament. The word refers to that God, I am. In fact, in the book of John, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And so when someone who's Greek says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, he was in the beginning with God, it's identifying this person, Jesus, is the cause of all things. That's consistent with what Paul said to um, the philosophers in Athens on Mars Hill, because he said, in him, in Jesus, we live and move and have our being. So profound. And for the Jewish listeners, they're saying, wait a minute. Are you telling me that the God who freed the slaves in Egypt and did the plagues, that God came to this earth as a human 
I can't accept that. And so many of the Jewish leaders could not accept it. In fact, Jesus is crucified because they believed he was blaspheming. Because such a thought is so astounding. It's it's staggering for all of us. But here it is in the word of God, and it's true. And you even see in the language in the second verse, it it mirrors Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. You know Jesus existed and it existed eternally before he took the form of a baby? He's part of the Godhead. And it says here in the first verse, he was with God, meaning he's a different person of God the Father, and he was God. He's part of the Godhead. The purpose of today's message is not to get too deep into this theology of the Trinity, but this is a very important verse, especially when you're reaching out to lost people. The enemy hates this, and so many, many cults will try to butcher or change this first verse. It's so important. But look at verse 4. In him, in Christ, was life, and the life was the light of men. Again, it's just so profound that Jesus himself, a person, is the source of life. It's not like scientific naturalists tell us. They say that we have physical matter that's that's not living, and it's just sitting there, and over time, it becomes more complex and has the breath of life. It doesn't make sense. That's not scientific. That's not what happened. That's an impossible story. No, it's in Jesus' life derives. Not just physical life, but spiritual life is in him. And he's very concerned about our spiritual life. That's why he came into the darkness. That's the whole story of Christmas, everybody, is that we are lost. We're headed to hell. We have no hope. And what Garen shared last week, he said the whole purpose of Jesus was to do the will of the Father, to go on the cross, to shed his blood, his innocent blood, to wash our sins away so we can be reconciled with God and with each other. That's the Christmas story. So Jesus is the source of life, and he's the light to all men. Okay, so when we're in community with people who don't know who God is, we want to introduce them to the knowledge that Jesus is the creator. That Jesus is God. We have a investigative Bible study for kids. And in that study, you have seekers that are asking questions. Does God celebrate Christmas? And what is it all about? And what parts are just materialism or commercialism? And what's legitimate? And we all have those questions. At the heart of it is, is that Jesus, he came into this world to bring light to us, to save us from our darkness. Um, you think of someone like Matt Stromberg, who was the missionary who visited us, and he's going to London to reach the Hindi people and the Muslim people. This passage, this section of the verses where Jesus is identified as the God, the creator, uh, is really important. And what he said is that you go to the Old Testament to the story of the prophets of Baal, and it's like a battle of the gods. And essentially, the question at that time was not whether there is a God, it's which God is the true God. And, and so Matthew will take people to that passage 
and he's dealing with Muslim people, he's dealing with Hindi people, and the thing with Hindi people is they believe in millions of gods. But this is affirming, no, there's only one God. Jesus is not just one God in the pantheon of gods. Jesus is God, he's the only God. Matthew makes that very clear in his missionary endeavors. For Muslim people, they believe in one God, the Creator, but they cannot accept the nature of God that is revealed in Scripture because the God, the living God, is triune. They do not accept Jesus as God. They accept Him as a great prophet. So Muslims and Christians do not follow the same God. These are important concepts. So the first, I guess, main point is that the identity of the true light is Jesus and Jesus alone. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. But Jesus, fully man, fully God. Two, two natures. Verse 5, I think some of us, as I've been talking to some of you and emailing, and I guess uh, from a pastoral perspective, I just feel that a lot of people are suffering, even the people of God, and they feel discouraged by the darkness happening around them. And if you're there, I want you to know that you're in great company. Jesus was a man of sorrows. Jesus said in this life we'll have tribulation, but at least we have hope. That might not feel like a consolation, but verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Sometimes we become disillusioned when we have a false idea of what Christianity is about or what Christianity is. The prosperity gospel says, add Jesus to your life and you'll become rich and famous and everything will be great. That's not it. Right here, this is Christmas here. The light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. It's still a dark world. Jesus came into a dark world. That dark world put him on the cross. But he defeated death, and he gives us hope. In heaven, this is a different perspective. This world that we're living in is still characterized as darkness. If you were to write a screenplay of Christmas, you would say, exterior, night. All the shots would be at night. The wise men are at night. Um, you know, They're traveling at night. There's a light in the darkness here. But if you were to do a screenplay of heaven... It would be day. Revelation 21. The new Jerusalem has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the, its lamp is the lamb. Jesus is the lamb. Heaven is characterized by light, the light that emanates from God. There's no darkness in him, and there will be no darkness in the new Jerusalem. We're not in the new Jerusalem right now. We're in a dark world, but we're lights in a dark world, and our source is Jesus. And we have to be in the light because we're just reflectors of him. My wife Jennifer, you know her story, but she recently went on to the radio. And the world is dark, and I know this intimately because my wife comes from a very difficult past, and you, you've heard it before, but it's still, it's crazy to me, even though I'm her husband, on her radio program, the title of it, was from daughter of prostitute to child of God. My, my wife grew up um, 
having a mother who was a madame and very much involved in the underworld. I'll spare you all the details, but the amount of abuse, the amount of substance abuse, the the brokenness, the the demonic oppression, the the that my wife experienced growing up is unfathomable. But because of Christ, she was sitting, she was sent to a Christian school and she was sitting in the front with her arms folded and she heard Jesus, she, she heard the preacher, she sat in the front row and she was sleeping in front of the preacher out of rebellion. But she heard these words, Jesus said, come to me all you who are heavy laden and I will give you rest for your souls. And she responded. It wasn't perfect, but through time in the light of Christ, she's been completely transformed. And now my daughter, my oldest, is the first daughter in a long line that has a father and a functional family. It's a miracle in front of my face. And so the fact that my wife her life has been redeemed. There's still pain and difficulty. And there were times when it felt completely hopeless for her. And many of you might be feeling like it's hopeless. And God cares and he's weeping with you. In John 11, it says Jesus wept. He understands the sting of death. He understands the brokenness of sin. He knows what it feels like to be betrayed. And so he's here this season to give your life light. But there's an acknowledgement that it is a dark world. But the darkness has not overcome the light. Just remember that. But why would the writer say this under the influence of the Holy Spirit unless the Holy Spirit knew that we needed the reaffirmation that, you know what, in the end, God wins. And we will be victorious with him. All right, second section. I got to get rolling. Verses 5 through 8, this is really the witness to the light. And this is talking about John the Baptist. There's a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. I just want to point out, this word all in the Greek means all. It's God's will for all humanity to be saved. Will they all be saved? Of course not. But he's appealing, come, whoever will believe. So what was John's job? John's job was like a reflector. He's in the light and he's preparing hearts for the truth of Christ's coming. Of course, John is unique. John the Baptist is unique. I'm not saying we're all John the Baptists. I mean, he was talked about in Isaiah. He's a fulfillment of scripture, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, but he played a special role. But he serves as an example for us as well. That our identity in this life is to be a reflector of God's glory. Now, when I was in high school, I was a pretty good student, but sometimes I would like to sit next to the window because the, the sun rays would just come in at a certain angle. And I would take my watch when the teacher's not really looking at me, and I would just aim it just perfectly at my friends and just flash them in the eyes. It doesn't work if you're not completely in the ray. You have to, in order to be a a proper reflection with the power of the sun. You have to be in the light. And the same is true if you're going to, you know, reflect for God's glory. I guess my story is kind of destructive, but 
you need to be completely in the light. You can't have one foot in, one foot out. And John was completely submitted to his role. We get despondent and we get disillusioned when we don't know what our identity is. Like, if you're like a middle-aged guy like me, you're like, you know, sometimes in a weak moment you'll say, what am I doing? What have I accomplished? I should be at this point at this time in my life. I should have these things. Or sometimes we define ourselves based on physical ailment. I'm this kind of person or by things that have happened to us. I'm the son of an alcoholic. I'm the daughter of, you know, whatever. Whatever it is that your life story, we define ourselves with certain labels. And we don't know, what, what is my role in this world? Or we define ourselves by our jobs or our positions or our, our resume or our bank account. And when something gets shaken because those things don't last, all of a sudden our identity is shaken. Our identity, we really need to understand our identity is to be like John and reflect Christ's light. I really respect um, one of the people who shared, a couple of them last week in the Testimony Sunday, were saying that she said that there's a lot of idols in her life. But if you were to look at her from the outside, you wouldn't say that that's a person who has idols. But all of us in the depths of our heart, we all erect idols in our hearts. I want this to happen. I want this relationship. I want this kind of thing. God, you owe me this because I wanted that. And when those things don't happen or we don't get um, certain things at certain times in life, we become disappointed and we lose our way. And we have to remember that true fulfillment and true meaning is when we are ref- we're in God's glory and then our purpose on this earth is not about achievements. It's about doing the kingdom work, about expanding his kingdom, about reflecting God's light to a people who don't know him. Let me just give you a couple of examples of uh, people that have touched me. In the middle of this preparation, my friend Chad, I've talked about him before, he has multiple um, physical and cognitive challenges. He has the use of one of his arms. He's in a wheelchair. He can't walk. He has motor skill issues. It's very difficult for him to communicate orally, but if you're patient and you listen carefully, he can communicate. But he's a man just like me. He has dreams. He wants to be independent. He wants to live with a new level of independence. He just lost his brother last year. He's suffering loss. And, but he goes around the neighborhood and he, t- he tells me, he said, you know, what I really feel called to do is to go around the neighborhood and tell people about Jesus. And so he goes through the neighborhood talking to everybody on his wheelchair and he tells people about Jesus. He is an inspiration to me. He always says, you pray for me and I'll pray for you. And so he prays for me. I think of the teachers, um, Jessica, Curtis, Jen Park, um, my friend Corey, who works a night shift at a university and then gets up and he teaches. You know, a lot of the classes are taught on Zoom, you know, the app where the teacher is talking to the students. And when you're teaching, you need to see faces. You need to see body language in order to teach properly, to get some feedback. And these teachers who are in our church or associated with our church, what what got them into it? The big bucks? No, it's a calling. They want to be light in difficult areas because a lot of these students, and I hear the stories, they're suffering loss. 
They don't always come from great homes. They have a lot of challenges because they don't know who Christ is. And for these teachers, they're the personification of Christ's reflection to those kids. But you know what they see on the screen? Because some of the districts, they don't make the kids go on camera. So all they see is black. All the kids have their cameras off. Not all of them, but most of them. Some of them is 100%. And they're muted. So in the natural, here you are, you're doing all these lesson plans. You're teaching seven hours a day to a black screen in the darkness. Why am I even doing it? Why am I busting my brain trying to do all these experiments in chemistry? Do these kids even care? You know what? Whether you know it or not, some of those kids, you are the brightest thing in their life because you are the only reflection of Christ that they have in their world. And you have no idea in the spiritual realm what you're doing. You don't know how dark a place you're going in. And even though you can see, you cannot see anything that's happening, all you have is blank screens with mute buttons, you're going into homes with so much brokenness, could be as much brokenness that my wife experienced when she was a child. And just your voice, just your passion, just your hope, just your belief in them is making a huge difference. And it doesn't, I'm not just limiting this to just the teachers. It's, it's, it's so many of you in your workplaces. You're not just about your profession. You're about the people you work with. So just don't ever forget that. You are to be like John the Baptist. I think about... Um, Matt F. or Ted or Roy, and we had those missionaries going to Japan, and they have a heart for the Japanese people, uh, the Tsushimas who, who care about North Africa, the Muslim people. When you have that call, don't forget your calling. Your calling is to be a light in dark places. That's all of our callings. I don't know what dark places you're called to, and it's going to look different for different people because you can be a light in so many different ways. Like I might do street evangelism, or I might preach, but Kyle will write a song, and my daughter Alexis will write a poem, or someone might make a meal. Sheldon will probably, and Jocelyn will make meals, or um, everyone loves others in a different way. A couple weeks ago, right in front of Gems, there was a member of the LGBTQ community who was just sitting in front, and um, Norm and I were, were talking to him, and he was the, he had just been the victim of uh, violent crime, allegedly, and we helped him call the police. And, you know, it's not really the time to preach, per se, although I did give him a Bible, but I just felt called just to just to talk to him, to help him, and to wait with him until the police came. And I just sat, we socially distanced, because I'm cautious, and, you know, you don't, I mean, it's just the reality, but Jesus hung out with lepers. He wasn't afraid to touch other people. We want to be cautious, we want to be wise, but... I felt called to just be there with them. Sometimes the best thing we can do is just sit and be with someone. And he was talking and opening up just a little bit. And But I felt my role was just to sit and be with him. Because when you're a victim and you've, been, you've just been a victim and it was visible that he had been, something happened to him. Something terrible happened to him. Just being there with someone is reflecting the love of Christ. And when the police finally came, I said, okay, so-and-so, um, take care. And, you know, I was walking away because he was going to go do his police report. He came up to me and he gave me a hug. Is he a Christian? No. Maybe not. 
I don't know. Actually, I don't know. He actually said when we were in conversation that he had started thinking about church or going to church. I don't know what his story is, but just by a kind action, you're the love of Christ for people. So don't forget your identity. Your identity is not defined by this world or by your flesh or by your addictions or whatever. You cast those things aside. You are called to be a reflector of the light of Christ. All right, I got to keep rolling. Um, but look at verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the... Oh, sorry. Uh, I'm at nine. Sorry. The true light. Okay, this section is that some people stay in the dark. Verse nine. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. It's such a tragedy that people can have God right in front of them and not recognize him. I'm thinking of that. There's a whole, there's a television series called uh, Undercover Boss, where a CEO goes at the bottom level of a company or entry-level position, and people don't know he's the CEO. Well, Jesus is the creator. He doesn't need to learn any lessons. He knows everything. But it's interesting to see how people respond to him. That, don't you know who this person is? This is the living God. He created you. He knows your heart. You can see that very clearly with the woman at the well in John 4, that he knows. But not everyone wants his light. And we have to be really, really careful about this because the darkness is very seductive. And we really don't understand the wickedness of our own souls. Look at um, John, let's see, John 3, 19 through 21. And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. My friend, do you love the darkness more than the light? For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. You know, if, I don't even know if they even have these, or I'm dating myself, but they used to have these raves in Los Angeles, which were like these, at a factory, or there'd be a big party. A lot of drugs, sex, drugs, rock and roll, okay? It was undercover. The police crash it, they turn the lights on, the party stops. Because there's never been a great party or a great bar scene with fluorescent lights. When the lights come up, the evil stops. People like the darkness. They like to do evil things in the darkness. And then the light comes on, and like cockroaches, they scurry away. Is that your heart? Is that my heart? I hope not. But, verse 12, but all who did receive him, who believed in his name, those who went into the light, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We're at a crossroads, friend. This Christmas, the challenge is to come to realize that the creator of the universe took on the form of a human for your sake, to die on a cross for you. You should be the one 
on the cross because of the wickedness and the darkness in your own soul. But Jesus took the place, and you have to understand that he's not on the pantheon. He's not at the same level of other gods. He's the God. Every other god is of the devil or man-made. That's just the facts. Next, we have to enter the light. And we've had an investigative Bible study. I have about three, by God's grace, Book of John studies happening through this church. Some of it is discipleship, um, but a lot of it is training people on how to minister to lost friends. And I'm, I'm very pleased to say that one of the members of our church put me in touch with someone on the East Coast, uh, an old friend of his, and we've been meeting, and he really wanted to study John, and we've been going book by book. And he didn't believe in the beginning, but he's been very diligent. We've, we got to week, um, I don't know, eight or nine, and we read the account of Lazarus, where Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, although he dies. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And I asked this friend, I said, do you believe this? And he said, yes. I said, what would stop you from asking Christ into your life? And he says, well, I don't have, I, I have unforgiveness towards these family members. And I said, so you're thinking you need to forgive them first and then come to God. Yes, that's not how it works. You need God so you can forgive this person. Friend, just come into the light of Christ. Open up those dark areas of bitterness, unforgiveness, addiction, whatever idols you have. You cannot stay in the gray. Don't keep one foot in the light, one foot in the darkness. It says in the Word of God that plans fail for lack of counsel. We can't trust our own hearts. When I have big decisions to make, I'll go to Norm, I'll go to Garen, I'll go to Crid, and I'll tell them. I just talked to Norm recently. I was making a big financial decision um, this past summer and making some decisions, and I talked to Norm and someone else, and it's kind of vulnerable as a man to say, okay, here's my situation. And my wife and I came to an agreement that, because I wanted to make sure I was doing it with the right motives, and I wasn't making a bad decision or, or creating an idol. And the truth is, if he had said no, I wouldn't have done it. I pulled him aside recently as well. And you can be tempted and not sin, right? That's not a sin. Jesus was tempted in every way, not sin. But if you have a nagging temptation, call a brother. Say, hey, Norm, I just want to tell you, I have this thing happening in my heart. But some people, they don't want counsel. They isolate themselves. I will say this. The people who have run into the most trouble are the ones who isolate in Proverbs 18.1, it says, people who isolate, they just follow their own desires, and that leads to destruction. So I really want to challenge you. I believe that some of us are trying to make impulsive decisions because the world is so dark, and you want to have one foot in the world, one foot in Christ. It doesn't work that way. God says, I wish you were either hot or cold but not lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Allow God into those areas because you will never fulfill your destiny as a reflector of God's glory unless you fully go into the light and you're undone by him. And you say, God, this is what I'm at. This is my problems. This is where I'm sitting. 
Would you please help me? And then you confess and you tell another brother or sister. Well, at this time, we're going to uh, transition to some art from a song from Kyle. Kyle, I've had, I had the privilege of participating in his baptism. I don't know when it was, a year ago. And seeing him grow as a new believer, studying the book of John together, and just seeing how he's bringing light into his circles. And he's written a song based on the book of John, John 1. And uh, just let it minister in your heart. If you are, if you don't know who God is, just let the truth of those words, just ponder it and read verse 1. If you're not fully in the light and you feel like God's wanting you to, to pray and give some things over to him, please take this opportunity to do so. As he's singing this prayer, let it be your prayer as well. Don't be compelled by the darkness. This is the truth. Light is coming to this world. That's the hope of Christmas. It's still a dark world, but there's hope in Christ. May God bless you. Hi, my name is Kyle, and I wrote a, a song about John chapter 1, which talks about Jesus coming to this earth as the light into darkness. And at first, I had a little bit of struggles um, writing the song, but as I prayed more and more, the song became more of a prayer, uh, just to be, to be more like the light of Jesus into this dark world. Uh, the song is called Light in the Gray. change. 
Each God be the truth who purifies my soul so evil never wins. God, I want to seek you all my days. If I cannot see you, I'll light up the way. God, I'll always need you to light up the way. Constantly in darkness, I need you to stay. Be the light. Hey.